Hey everyone, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk. Hopefully you are listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts. You guys would not believe the trouble that getting a podcast uploaded entails. Let's just say I'm a lot more familiar with pixels and the exact pixel size of an image and alpha lining or whatever the term was on your images but let's not get into that right now so as a result of that issue that i had to deal with i'm recording this at 11:26 p.m. right now on the on the west coast so a couple hours after play is finished here so this might be a little quicker than I had planned, but let's just see how it goes here. I've got the rundown right here. This is a, an episode focusing on what happened on Wednesday in the tennis tournaments in Montreal and Toronto. Before we get into the details, let's just take a moment and appreciate these long marathon days of action like this that have interesting upsets, good matches, intriguing matches, matches that go three sets, several of them, uh, emotional storylines as well, almost 14 hours of action today, and a good chunk of that 14 hours was of high-quality match-wise and story-wise. So that's why we all watch these big tournaments. First, I want to talk about the four matches that I had my eye on very specifically today. Four matches that I watched from first point to last. And the first of those was first up this morning, 11 o'clock local time. Carlos Alcaraz played Tommy Paul. And coming in, Alcaraz has been struggling recently, he's had some losses, and on the other hand, Tommy Paul has been a good prospect for several years, but coming into today, he lacked a signature win or a signature moment, even though he's hanging just around the fringes of the top 30 right now, and Carlos Alcaraz hit some good shots, as he is wont to do. So the first set went to a tiebreak, and Alcaraz got up a quick 5-2, and Paul made a little bit of a run. The final score of the tiebreak was 7-4 in favor of Alcaraz, but the early lead for Alcaraz really helped him there. And I thought the match was over after that, and Alcaraz probably did too because Carlos Alcaraz got up 7-6-4-1, in this match against Tommy Paul, and then eventually had a match point later on. And Alcaraz unraveled as the match progressed, and Tommy Paul didn't necessarily do anything special, I thought, but he was a professional player. He took advantage of his unraveling opponent. He didn't get down or negative when he was match point down. He kept it going. Carlos Alcaraz didn't ask him the question, as they say in the tennis broadcasting booth, but even if there was not a question, 
Tommy Paul was definitely there with the answer. And Tommy Paul gets the win in three sets, saving a match point. 6-3 in the third set for Tommy Paul. In the end, he won it. He was the decisive winner, let's say. And uh, Tommy Paul got the win there. Again, 11.30, not my best time here, but we power through. Second match I watched closely today, number one seed, Daniil Medvedev, taking on Nick Kyrgios, the man of the moment. This one surprised me. This was a boring match. That was, of all the notable matches of the day, this was the most boring, I thought. It was seven or eight games in very quickly, maybe 17 or 18 minutes, 20 minutes. Very short games, very serve-dominated, especially in the first set, through the first nine games. Medvedev was serving at 4-5 in the first set, and he saved two set points. Then the five-all game was a couple deuces. And in the first set tiebreak, Medvedev's consistency won out against Kyrgios. And the score of that breaker was 7-2. And at 6-2 in the breaker, Kyrgios apparently hit a ball into the crowd. The cameraman missed it, so I didn't see what happened, but I heard a thwack. And Kyrgios got a code violation. Again, we've seen it multiple times this year. Kyrgios, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Jensen Brooksby a couple months ago. I understand in the past, guys like Andy Roddick and, you know, it might have been accepted at that time on tour that if you get angry, you hit a ball into the stands in a show of emotion to show everyone that you're upset. But in today's world, I don't know if we can go by that same standard. I don't really like hitting balls into the crowd, because what if you do hit somebody? Especially if you do it in a targeted way, as players have been doing recently. You can't just hit a shot at ground stroke or serve speed into the stands. I mean, I guess if you go back to the Roddick days, you know, maybe it was like a light tap, but I don't even know if that's accurate. Uh, We shouldn't necessarily the past might not necessarily be prologue in this case i think professional tennis players in all their wealth in their generational wealth fame and talent i think we can ask them to not hit balls into the stands because they're lost because they lost a point or whatever but anyway medvedev wins the first set and then from then on Kyrgios really rolled him in the last two sets, four and two, and he got the break early in the first, in the second set, rather. He got the break early in the second, and that was that. Um, Kyrgios won Washington last week without dropping serve, and he he did lose his serve once to Baez yesterday, but it was a routine score, and today, Kyrgios did not lose his serve. He did face two break points, but he didn't lose his serve. So his serve is on a roll right now, there is no doubt. One of the best serves on tour, and I think Kyrgios is one of the one of the best players on tour at the moment. Next match I was checking out. 
Belinda Bencic taking on Serena Williams. The match was completely unremarkable. If you're the Bencic coach, you tell your player this is a good draw. You're playing a 40-year-old that doesn't really play tennis on the tour anymore who is having movement and serve issues. Serena's just not moving very well, and her serve, the once impenetrable serve, has really been a, a, a particular weak spot in the three matches that she's played on her comeback. Serena's played three matches and lost two of them in the last couple months. So she's, you know, it might not be a fairy tale ending for her. It, it, it might be a quite disappointing ending based on our fantasies, based on Pete Sampras winning the 2002 U.S. Open and then leaving. It might not happen. And that's fine. That's the way life works. But less important than the... I'm sorry. The match was not important necessarily compared to what was going on around it. And if you saw that moment live, or you saw what happened before or after the match on replays, it was a very emotional moment. The, the very enthusiastic PA announcer was definitely giving it up for Serena. Maybe a little over the top, Mr. PA announcer, but I thought it was fine. I thought it was appropriate in this case. The crowd was not full at the beginning, which was a disgrace. They should have given tickets away to the city of Toronto to get people to come in there to respect the great Serena Williams. But yeah, I was just sitting on my couch and I almost burst into tears, so I can only imagine what Serena was feeling in that moment. She did cry. There were tears. It was a great moment, a very emotional moment, and this is only the first one. There's going to be two more tournaments, possibly multiple matches for each tournament for Serena. So it's definitely a, a, there was an explosion of emotion from the crowd, which was nice to see. And it was nice to see Serena embrace that for once, because throughout her career, she's not necessarily had the biggest fan support in matches. I don't know. Maybe that's not accurate. I feel like Serena maybe has not embraced fan culture as openly as someone like Federer or Djokovic have. She's not necessarily concerned with fans, but that's just me talking. I'm not Serena. Bencic moving on there. And then the late match didn't start till 10.39 Eastern Time and did not finish until 12.41 a.m. Eastern Time. Number three seed, Sitsipas taking on the qualifier, Jack Draper. And Sitsipas is just in a dark, dark place right now. Watching him is as boring as watching paint dry, and it's as excruciating as being an ant under a magnifying glass getting sun, burning the ant. It's just not fun to watch him play tennis right now. He's really in a bad headspace. He makes bad decisions during matches. He makes lots of unforced errors during matches, particularly on the forehand side today. Jack Draper, the qualifier, he did get a retirement in the second round of qualifying, but in two qualifying matches, he only lost four games. And, of course, it's well known that 
He won the set off of Djokovic at Wimbledon 2021. He's 20 years old now. He's definitely a good prospect. If Tsitsipas had a bad night like he did tonight, Draper's definitely capable, capable of getting a win. He definitely earned this. He was the better player today. And Jack Draper got the win today over number three seed Stefano Tsitsipas. And the seeds today did not fare particularly well um, on the uh, on the whole of it. And I've got that written here. So the top eight seeds today, let's go through the record of how they went. So uh, Sviantek won. Kontavate lost. Sakri didn't play today. But Asa and Jabor are out. Sabalenka, Pegula, and Muguruza are all through. So three top eight seeds lost today in the women's. And in the men's today, half of the top eight seeds lost today. Number one, Medi. Number two, Alcaraz. Number three, Tsitsipas. And number five, Rublev all went down. Rude, Ajay Aliasim, and Sinner got wins today. So of the 14 top eight seeds that played today in the men's and women's draw, out of those 14, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the 14 lost. So when you lose half of your top field on the Wednesday of a Masters 1000 week, that is definitely notable. And we are going to be getting, yet again, in on the tennis tours right now, we are going to be getting some unusual suspects or some lower-ranked players in the semifinals and the finals this weekend. So it will be interesting to watch that. Big implications today in the race rankings as well. I'm going to pull that up live while I'm talking here. Because when you have all these players that lose at the top, for example, Jabor lost today. That's great news for Sviantek because that's another 1,000 points that can't be made up on her. So let's take a look at the live WTA race now. Coco Goff's up to four in the race. That's good for her. But of the top race players, Jabor is out. Kasatkina's out. Sakari number, or sorry, Bedosa number seven is out. And a couple of the other players are ranked a little lower, but that's fine. Um, so Sviantek now has 7,455 points. Jabor, who lost today, will be stuck at 3091. We'll see if a player beneath that sort of catches up. But right now, Sviantek's lead in the race for number one is 4,364 points right now. That means she could play, she could lose tomorrow, she could not play Cincinnati, she could not play the U.S. Open, and she would probably still be number one. So that's just how dominant of a lead that she has. That's, like, unheard of to have that big a lead at this point in the season with a Grand Slam and three or four big tournaments still to go. Let's take a look at the WTA, I mean, at the ATP race. In the race, Medvedev is only up maybe 100. Let me get the exact number here. Oh, wait. Let's go to the race. There it is. So Rafa still has the the race lead by about a thousand points. Number two Alcaraz is out. 
Number three, Sitsipas is out. And now Casper Ruud is sitting there only 600 points back of number three. So if Casper Ruud makes, has a couple of good weeks, he might be number two in the world in a couple weeks. Crazy, but we'll see about that. Medi is down at five. Honestly, even though he's still in the top eight, really it's kind of a lost season for Medi because August is his best time of year and not doing well at an August tournament. That's really bad news for him. Felix up to number eight. Djokovic down at 11 at the moment. That's interesting. And that's not going to be getting better anytime soon. So, yeah, definitely. Um, Medvedev is going to still be number one next week. I read that today on the internet. Uh, and then Zverev is going to be right there on the Monday rankings. Then Zverev is going to lose 1,000 points from winning Cincinnati last year. So Zverev's chance to be number one will not be there. So if Nadal does well next week, he'll get to number one. But if not, it looks like Medi will hang on to that and be for the U.S. Open. Then we'll see how it shakes out. So interesting times at the top of the game right now. Nadal's been ahead all year long in the race. And at the moment, no one's caught him. And eventually, that's going to cycle out to be reflected in the 52-week rankings. But let's not discuss the rankings right now because the rankings are a disgrace. And they have been for two and a half years. The rankings don't mean as much as they used to, which is unfortunate. So let's run through the results today. Andrescu beat Cornet, 6-3, 4-6, Benchich beat Serena Williams, 6-2, 6-4. Muguruza over Kanepi, who beat Osaka, 6-4, 6-4. Zhang beat Jabor 6-1-2-1 retired. Jabor was, quote, not feeling well, unquote, according to Jose Morgado. Teichman beat Contivate 6-4-6-4. Sabalenka beat Soribes Tormo 6-4-6-3. Putintseva beat Badosa 7-5-1-love retired. I didn't get a reason on that. I don't know why she retired. Haddad Maya beat the Canadian U.S. Open finalist, Leila Fernandez, 7-6-6-1. Halep beat Zhang, not Zhang, 6-4-6-2. Remember, Zhang beat Jabor, and Zhang beat Halep. Very important. There will be a test. Pegula beat Mohamed, 6-2-7-5. Sviantek continued her number one form, 6-1-6-2 over Tomlanovic. Risk Armitrage beat Ostapenko by the amusing scoreline of 7-6, love 6, 7-5. In a wild one this afternoon, Coco Goff beat the Wimbledon champ Elena Rabakina 6-4, 6-7, Goff had four match points in the second set, didn't get it done. There were lots of breaks in the third set, and Goff prevails in the end there. One of the surprises of the uh, surprises of the day early this morning, Pliskova beat Anasimova six one six one. That's a good performance by Pliskova, and the defending champion Camilla Georgie wins again, six three seven five over Mertens. 
Hey, look out for Georgie. If she did it last year, why not do it again? On the men's side today, Chilich beat Kachanov 6-3-6-2. Karen Obusta destroyed Runa 6-love-6-3. Pretty surprising scoreline there. Ramos Vignolas beat Schwartzman 6-4-6-2. Alex Damonar beat Dimitrov 7-6-7-5. Bautista Agut pulled away from Jensen Brooksby 7-5-6-1. Another event goes by without a breakthrough for Jensen Brooksby. Jensen Brooksby is the next Tommy Paul. Dan Evans beat Rublev 6-4-6-4. That's going to be my one comment on Rublev this week. He's a non-factor on the tour right now to me. Andre Rublev is the new Thomas Burdich. Perpetually ranked 5-8, to eight, perpetually making the middle rounds, except not today, and then taking his lumps in the quarters and semis. Cameron Norrie beat Bodic van de Zan Schulp, 6-1-6-2. Another surprising scoreline. Gael Monfils in Montreal beat self-proclaimed world number one future Maxime Cressy, 7-6-7-6. Sinner beat Manorino, 2-6-6-4-6-2. Casper Ruud, the highest seeded player remaining, beat Alex Molchan, 7-6-6-3. Paul beat Alcaraz, 6-7-7-6-6-3. Kyrgios beat Medvedev, 6-7-6-4-6-2. Taylor Fritz came back from Love 4 in the third set to Virtual Bagel Francis Tiafo, 5-7-6-1-6-4. Felix Auger-Aliassime beat Yoshihito Nishioka, 7-6-6-4. And Jack Draper concluded the day by beating Tsitsipas, 7-5-7-6. Let's take a look at tomorrow's schedule now which I'll be looking at for the first time, starting with the women's schedule. And again, the Pedia, it's 2.48 a.m. right now. Play starts in 8 hours and 12 minutes. And on the WTA website, the PDF is not correct. On the National Bank Open website, it's only a partial schedule. This is unacceptable for a professional sports league. This must be better. Oh! And I'm looking just now at my phone, and I just got the notification that my episodes are now available on Apple Pods. The episodes are there. Hey, very, very, very exciting. Good stuff. Oh, the numbers are not good. I'm going to have to go back and fix the numbers there. Uh, so, so this is episode one, two, three, four... So I should just leave the number out. Okay. Because I, I numbered the number in the, the file name, but it looks like Apple does that by itself somehow. Okay. I'm going to have to mess with that a little later. But that's some breaking news on the pod here. Okay. Schedule tomorrow. Reacting live to it. Okay. Starting with Toronto. This is going to be round of 16 action. At 11 a.m., number 6, Arena Sabalenka versus number 10, Coco Goff. Also at that time, 
Looks like that's it for that time. So that's the only ma match happening at 11. At 1 o'clock, number 7, Jessica Pagula against defending champion Camila Georgie. And on center court, number 15 seed, Simona Halep takes on Jill Teichman. Later on in the afternoon, number 1, Iga Sviantek takes on Beatrice Adad-Maya. And Allison Risk Amritraj takes on Yulia Putinseva. Putinseva. The night session is going to be on at seven o'clock on Grandstand. Number three, Maria Sakari against number fourteen, Carolina, Carolina Pliskova. And the two matches on center first at seven o'clock. Bianca Andreescu against Zhang, followed by Garbine Muguruza against Belinda Bencic, number 8 versus number 12 there. Okay, matches that stand out to me there. I mean, most of those matches are good, so that's a solid schedule there. The men's schedule for tomorrow starts at 12 Eastern, so an hour later than the last couple of days. At 12 o'clock for the men... Casper Ruud takes on Roberto Bautista Agut, number 4 versus number 14. At 1.30, Ramos Vinyalas takes on number 8, Hubert Hercotch, followed by number 10, Taylor Fritz against Daniel Evans. At 3 p.m., Nick Kyrgios versus Alex Dimonar in an all-Australian battle. At 4 o'clock, this is a good one. Maybe the match of the day, by ranking for sure. At 4 o'clock, number 6, Felix Ojealiasim takes on number 9, Cameron Nori. 6.30 p.m. on Court Rogers. Number 13, Marin Cilic takes on Tommy Paul. Then the night matches for the men starting at 7 p.m. Gael Monfils takes on Jack Draper. And then the nightcap, Yannick Sinner against Pablo Carreño Busta. Sinner is a night match, and Felix against Nori is a day match. Curios is a day match again. Yeah, this is a questionable schedule, but you know what? Play, they play the matches when they play them, and podcasts like this and Twitter people like me complain about the schedule, and then the people that make the schedule don't even give a crap. They do what they want. So I've already gone 26 minutes here. That's pretty good. So again, today was a great day of tennis, and I hope that tomorrow is going to be another one. Thanks for finding this on Apple Pods. If you're listening all the way to the end here, I appreciate that. Thank you. Leave a five-star review and a comment if you want. Once more, thanks for listening. This podcast was courtesy of Argon Productions. Thank you.